I think it's my turn, right? I'm not paying attention, man. I'm so, uh, I'm just so excited to be here. I can hardly stand it. Um, I want you guys to know something. I hope this is true of you. I'm going to tell you it's true of me, that his praise will ever be on my lips. I've walked with the Lord for 38 years, and I've been through some ups and downs and some hard times and some good times, but his praise has ever been on my lips, and I hope you can say the same thing. My goodness, how privileged are we that we can sit here as the family of God and put our praises, his praises on our lips and praise him collectively. We get to do that. I can't even believe we're here together, that we get to share this time together to worship him, to be the family of God, and to focus on his word, and to sing praises to the almighty God who hears us when we do so. Can you believe that? Can you believe that you're here in this place? Oh my goodness. I'm so excited I can hardly take it. One of the perks of not preaching is I get some rest. One of the other perks of not preaching is when I come back, I'm just, I, I, I'm just, I want to explode. I can't wait to... To, to be with you guys and to preach, so thank you so much. So I want to go over a few quick things. Pastor Dave, ridiculous, just ridiculous. I watched it twice. So good. I say this every time. It's like, can you get any better? That was remarkable. It was absolutely remarkable. So thank you so much. I, I knew we had a lot of volunteers for VBS, but to hear that there was like 140-ish, you know, different parts of the week, that's just incredible. So for those of you who volunteered in any way, thank you from the bottom of our hearts so much for doing so. Can we give everybody a, a hand for doing that? Um, tomorrow is our fourth monthly service or fourth preview service in Texas. I will not be there. I was there for April. I was there for May. I was there for June. My schedule just didn't allow me to get there for July. But be praying for them. It's tomorrow, their fourth one. The fifth one will be in August and then the grand opening in September. 9-9 of 18 is when the grand opening is when that church will start meeting weekly in Heath, Texas. So continue to pray. Uh, for Pastor Chris and for that team and for Renee, his wife, and for their uh, kids, Finley and Deacon. It was Finley's birthday yesterday. I called and left a voicemail on Pastor Chris. I, I called him and said, okay, I'm going to call, but don't pick up. And then I sang as loud as I could and as off-key as I could, uh, happy birthday to Finley. And um, anyway, so be, be praying for them. And one of the cool things is July 21st and 22nd, I think that's the weekend. I think that's correct. Pastor Chris and Renee and the kids are going to come out here and spend some time with us before they get really busy in September with the church launch, and he's going to preach that weekend. I think it's Esther 5. So really, that all just kind of came together this week. It was on my heart. I called him a couple weeks ago. It was on his heart. The leadership loved it. So um, we're going to fly them out. They're going to be here for four or five days, and um, so we look forward to them being here with us. Amen? Amen. Yes. I'm so excited about Esther. I texted Pastor Dave this morning. I'm, we were texting back and forth and just loving on each other. And I'm like, man, going from Philippians to Esther is such a trip, right? From New Testament epistle to Old Testament history. And, um, oh, gosh, it was so fun. I don't know if you're having fun reading God's word, but I'm having fun. Join me. Join me in the fun. It's not fair. It's just not fair. Okay. I think I got all that done. So Dave's message was so good that I'm going to, like, for half the message tonight, I'm just going to quote Dave from last week. Is that okay? So last week, Dave gave us the theme. Pastor Dave said that the theme of the book of Esther is this. I think we have it. Yeah, theme of Esther, God's faithfulness. We serve a faithful God. 
He provides for his people. That's the theme of the book of Esther. And so I just think it's wise for us to constantly remember the theme as we go through each chapter. Pastor Dave also said the purpose of the book of Esther was to demonstrate God's sovereignty in all circumstances. Church, God's in control. We like this fancy word called sovereignty. It means God's in control. Does that excite you? Yeah, God's in control. So that's the purpose of this book is to realize that our God is sovereign in all circumstances. Pastor Dave showed us Romans 8.28 that we know, sometimes we forget, but we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. Oh, church, love your God. To those who are called according to his purpose so we can get rid of our purpose. Pastor Dave said this, He said it, and I had to type it word for word. He said, my dear brothers and sisters, we have a decision to make. Let's not read the book of Esther and think, wow, the Lord sure knew what he was doing in Esther's life. Instead, let's read this book together and realize the Lord knows exactly what he is doing in your life and in my life. Let's decide, Pastor Dave said, let's decide that we're going to trust him completely in every situation. Pastor Dave, what a great thing to say to to our church, to the church. This should be quoted by every pastor and every church in the world. What a great quote. Yes. Pastor Dave also said that the plot is that God takes a young orphan girl and causes her to become queen of the Persian Empire to save the Jewish people from destruction. Glory be to our God. Amen? One theologian says this. He says, providence is the hand of God. It's not on the screens, I don't think. Good. Providence, listen, is the hand of God in the glove of history. Ooh. It is the work of God whereby he integrates and blends events in the universe in order to fulfill his original design for which it was created. It is God sitting behind the steering wheel of time. Providence refers to God's governance of all events so as to direct them toward an end. It is God taking what you and I might call luck, chance, mistakes, or happenstance and stitching them into achieving his program. Have you ever been this excited about providence as you are right now? Church, turn to the book of Genesis chapter 50. I believe that's the last chapter in the book of Genesis. Genesis 50. Genesis 50, verses 15 through 20, as this book winds down, starting in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did him? We don't have time to get into that story. Just read all of Genesis, so if you can get caught up to chapter 50, that might take a little while. Verse 16, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying this, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong, Joseph. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also came and they fell down before him and said, behold, 
we are your servants. And Joseph said, do not be afraid for, am I in God's place? No. As for you, look at church, you meant evil, Joseph says against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Wow. Turn to Joshua Church, chapter 23. That's, the, I think, the sixth book in. After Deuteronomy, I think, I think, right? Is it Joshua? Okay, Joshua. Go to the end of Joshua. We see this theme in Genesis, and we see it again in the end of Joshua. Joshua chapter 23, starting in verse 1. Joshua's saying goodbye. He's about to die. Verse 1 says, It came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side. And Joshua was old, advanced in years. That Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders and their heads and their judges and their officers. And he said this, he says, I'm old, advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. See, I have apportioned to you these nations which remain as an inheritance for your tribes. With all the nations which I have cut off from the Jordan even to the great sea toward the setting of the sun. The Lord your God. He will thrust them out from before you and drive them out from before you and you will possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Go to verses 9 and 10, same chapter. For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you and as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to flight a thousand for the Lord your God is he who fights for you just as he promised he would. And then look at verse 14. Now behold, Joshua says, today I'm going the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. Is that powerful? God's in control he fights for us. What he promises, he will do. Philippians 2 verse 13 says this, it is God who is at work in you, in me, in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Amen. Glory, glory, glory be to our God. Church, here's what I want you to know. Look at your screens. God's in control. When is God in control? All day, every day. God is in control all day, every day. Say it with me. God is in control all day, every day. Say it to your neighbor. Tell your neighbor. Amen. Because see, church, it's fun to say that. We know that to be true. But on some level, don't we all tend to wonder if this really is true? Don't we tend to wonder at times if it really is true? Esther is 10 chapters, chapter after chapter after chapter of reminding us that God is in control all day, every day. Wow. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bow down before you because you're sovereign because you deliver on your promises, because you fulfill every single word which you proclaim to your people. 
You are so worthy of our praise, and your praise will ever be on this man's lips, and I hope on every person's lips here when we understand who you are and why you are worthy of our praise. Thank you, Lord, that you are in control all day, every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Last week, at the end of Pastor Dave's message, I thought his challenges were really, really good. And so I thought it'd be good to remind ourselves again of the challenges that Pastor Dave left us with. Let's go ahead and put those up. He had three things. He says, are we going to look for God in our circumstances? In other words, church, look for God in your circumstances. Are we going to trust that God knows what he's doing? In other words, church, God knows what he's doing. Are we going to believe that God is causing everything to work for our good? Church, Romans 8.28 says that God causes all things to work together for our good. Let's recap Esther 1. In Esther chapter 1, if you're not in the book of Esther, please turn there. It's after Ezra and then Nehemiah. Esther chapter 1. In Esther chapter 1, we're introduced to the king. We're introduced to King Ahasuerus. In verse 3 and 4, he throws this big party in the third year of his reign for his 127 provinces and all these important people. And in verse 4, it says, <laughs> this, this is just crazy. He displayed the riches of his royal glory and splendor of his great majesty for many days, 180 days. I can show you my splendor and glory in about 180 seconds, and then that's probably way too much time right? I'm like, I get to like 17 seconds and say like, I'm out of stuff to show you, right? Okay, so he's, he's, he's the man, right? Ahasuerus is the man. And then in 9 and 12, he wants to then display his pretty wife. So Queen Vashti, verse 9, also gave a banquet for the women, verse 10, on the seventh day when the heart of the king was merry, and I think Dave quoted the Hebrew as being he was hammered. Is that what you said, Pastor Dave? Right? He was married with wine. He commanded these guys, the seven eunuchs, um, to bring Queen Vashti, verse 11, before uh, the king with her royal crown. But she, because she was beautiful, verse 12, but she refused. And so he was very angry. And the wrath or his anger burned within him. And then verses 19 and 20, his, he gets together and they, they, with his leaders and, and they issue this decree or this edict that it be written in the laws of Persia and Medea so that it cannot be repealed, that Vashti may no longer come into the presence of the king, and that the king give her royal position to somebody else who's more worthy than her. And then he proclaims that through the entire empire. So that's chapter 1. Esther chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 4. Let's read verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. After these things, when the anger of the king had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's attendants who served him said, Hey, let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. Let the king appoint overseers in all the provinces of his kingdom, 127, that they may gather every beautiful young virgin to the citadel of Susa, to the harem, into the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given to them. Then let the young lady who pleases the king be queen in place of Vashti. And the matter pleased the king, and he did accordingly. 
So, in these verses, we witness the king <laughs> jumping from one problem to another. Just like you and just like me, the king's got problems too. He went from an uncooperative queen to no queen at all. Poor, poor King Ahasuerus. Let's look at how he made decisions. In verse 1 of chapter 2, the emotion we see there is that he was angry. He was angry. And it says when his anger subsided, he realized what had happened and that he had asked Queen Vashti to step down, if you will. And then at the end of this little section, verse 4, it says... Let the young lady who pleases the king be queen in place of her. And this matter pleased the king. And so he did according to what pleased him. Hmm. We must be aware and careful of what makes us angry, verse 1, and what we do to please us, verse 4. What a great lesson for us. Verse 4 shows us that the king did accordingly. That's what verse 4 says, that he did accordingly or did according to what pleased him. See, here's what's great. We know the Lord's at work in all of this, don't we? So the Lord can even work when we do what pleases us. Huh? That's how cool God is. God can work even when we do what pleases us. In verses 1 through 4, we see this emotion. He's still ramped up. He's not himself, if you will. Lots of emotion in verses 1 through 4. And within this emotion, we see the king get whatever he wants. That's what we see in verses 1 through 4. But in reality, <laughs> it's the Lord getting what he wants. That's the undercurrent of all this. The Lord uses the predictability of man to orchestrate his purposes. Dave Rondeau has a saying, if you know Dave Rondeau, he says, chess or checkers? God's playing chess, and we're playing checkers. That's what's happening here. The king's playing checkers, and God's playing chess. The Lord uses the predictability of the king, of man, to orchestrate his purposes. We're, we're playing checkers, man. God's playing chess. Let's read verses 5, 6, and 7 of chapter 2. Now there was at the citadel in Susa a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish, the Benjamite, had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. And so he was bringing up, now we're back to Mordecai. Mordecai was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter. That makes them cousins. For she had no father or mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So finally... Finally, we're introduced to Esther, but not before we're introduced to her cousin, Mordecai. As the old saying goes, behind every young, beautiful Jewish queen is a cousin named Mordecai. I just couldn't help myself. It means nothing, but I just thought it sounded really funny. All that is said about Mordecai is this. One, his Benjamite ancestors were exiled by Nebuchadnezzar. And two, that he adopted his cousin Esther. That's all we know at this point. 
All that is said about Esther is that one, she had no father or mother, and that two, she was a young lady, beautiful of form and face. That's all we know at this point. So up to this point, from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 7, which we just read, we know more about the king than we do about Mordecai and Esther combined. Why? I think it's because the focus is on God orchestrating the solution, not the players executing the solution. Isn't that cool? As Pastor Dave discussed last week, the Jewish nation was exiled because of their unrighteousness and rebellion against God. And so they were exiled to a land not their own from Jerusalem. But after 70 years, they started going back to return to Jerusalem. And so I wonder, maybe you did too, I wonder if Mordecai was looked down upon for not returning to Jerusalem and staying in Babylon or now the Persian Empire. Don't you wonder? I wonder. Why does he want to stay? We, church, must be so careful in determining how God should work and or who he should be working with. Why would God use Mordecai? He doesn't even want to go back to Jerusalem. We do that. We wonder why God does what he does and why he uses who he uses. You're so good at that. You're so good at just trusting God in those situations. My wife is. I've learned that from her. So good at that. Just saying it'll be interesting to see why God's doing what he's doing. I'm so thankful for you. I also love how the Lord can really dial things in for us. Check this out. In chapter 1 of Esther, verse 1, how many provinces are there? 127. Okay, that's where we're going to start. This is how the Lord dials things. This is how fast the Lord's dialing things in for us, right? 127 provinces in an empire. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. Let the king appoint overseers in all 127 provinces of his kingdom that they may gather every beautiful young virgin to the citadel. 127 provinces, that's a lot. And he doesn't say bring 100, like 100 should be enough. I can probably choose out of 100. He say bring everyone from all 127 provinces. Gather every beautiful young virgin. Look at verse 7 of chapter 2. So you got 127 provinces, every beautiful young virgin, Verse 7, Esther. That fast. That's how our God works. 127 provinces. Every young, beautiful virgin. And then we're introduced to Esther. Oh, I love how the Lord works. Let me give you um, some perspective. By share or percentage of population, the largest empire in the history of the world was the Persian Empire. I don't know if you knew that. It accounted for approximately, at this time, 49.4 million of the world's 112.4 million people. It was a remarkable 44% of the world's population was in the Persian Empire. So you're talking the edict to go out and find a beautiful young version out of 49.4 million people. And we're introduced to Esther, just like that. Church. What that means is sometimes we feel like we're just one of 44.4 million or whatever the number is, but God can find us. God can find us in these 127 provinces with all these beautiful young women. 
God finds Esther, and God knows you, and he finds you, no matter what you're going through, and you wonder, is God hearing me? Does he see me? Does he know me? He does. He finds you. And he finds you, and he knows exactly what to do with you. He knows exactly how to use you. He knows exactly what ministry he has for you. He knows who you are, church. Every one of us, he'll find us. He doesn't even have to look. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Isn't that amazing? God knows us, church. He knows each and every one of you. Let's go to verses 8 through 16 in Esther chapter 2. Our next stanza, 8 through 16 of Esther chapter 2. So it came about when the command and decree of King Ahasuerus, when it was heard, many young ladies were gathered, yeah, many, to the citadel out of 49.4 million into the custody of Haggai. Haggai's like, oh man, I need help, dude. This is a lot of women, <laughs> right? That Esther was taken to the king's palace in the custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. Now the young lady pleased him and found favor with him, and so he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and food and gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace and transferred her uh, and her maids to the best place in the harem. I'm not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing, right? I got the best place in the harem. Yeah, good for you. Esther did not make known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had instructed her that she should not make them known. And then every day Mordecai would walk back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Now, when the turn of each young lady came to go into the king, Hazarus, after the end of her 12 months under the regulation for the women, 12 months for the days of their beautification were completed as follows. Six months with oil and myrrh and six months with spices and the cosmetics for women. That's crazy. And the young lady would go into the king in this way. Anything that she desired was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in and in the morning, she would return to the second harem to the custody of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. And she would not go in to the king unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name and would be forever uh, relegated to the harem, even if she was never called. Now when the turn, uh, did I go too far? Oh yeah. Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of uh, Abihail, uh, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, when her turn came to go to the king, she did not request anything except what Haggai, the eunuch who was in charge, advised her to take. And then Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Think about that. All these beautiful women. And Esther had favor in everybody's eyes. And so Esther was taken to the king to his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. So, the plot thickens. <laughs> The plot thickens. In chapter 1, we discover the powerful Persian king, Ahasuerus, as well as the beautiful yet rebellious queen, rebellious queen Vashti. That's chapter 1. In chapter 2, we're now introduced to some Jews, Mordecai and Esther. And then after a 12-month beautification process, Esther, along with countless others, is paraded before the king. A lot's happened in a few verses between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And so it appears that things are moving rather quickly, wouldn't you say? 
There's a meeting in chapter 1, verse 13, after the queen rebels, they have a meeting to say, what do we do? There's an edict in chapter 1, verse 22, about sending out a, a thing into all the provinces saying all the women need to respect their men. There's a gathering in chapter uh, 2, verse 3, about, hey, we need to gather all these women from all the provinces so you can have a new queen. And then there's a regulation where they have to have a one-year beautification. So lots happened really fast, or so it appears. Go back to verse 3 of chapter 1. Verse 3 of chapter 1 says, In the third year of his reign is when he gave this banquet. In the third year of his reign. Go to chapter 2, verse 16, which we just read. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus in the tenth month, in the seventh year of his reign. Four years has passed. The king parties, the queen doesn't go for what he says to go for, and now Queen Vashti is about to, or Queen uh, Esther is about to go before the king. Four years has passed. And we read through this stuff and we just go, man, God works really, really quick. Well, not, not here. Not, that's not the way we like him to work. Four years has passed. Why? Because God's timing's perfect. Because his timing's perfect. Because he's playing chess while we're playing checkers. We can trust him in his timing. Romans 5, 6 says this, right? If you read the Old Testament, you desperately realize we need Christ, but he ain't coming. He's coming, but he's not here. You think, faster, Lord. I read the Old Testament. I think, Lord, may, I hope this time when I read the Old Testament that Jesus shows up faster. Then he doesn't show up faster. Why? Because it says in Romans 5, 6, while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for us. At the right time Christ came. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, this is out of the NIV, I think, I hope. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, he's playing chess. We're playing checkers. He knows what he's doing. We can't even fathom. But the Lord has made everything beautiful in its time. There's another thing found in this section of verses that I really, really appreciated in verses 8 through 16. Look at 10 and 11 of chapter 2. Look at verses 10 and 11. Esther did not make known her people or her kindred. Mordecai told her not to make them known. And then every day Mordecai walked back and forth and continued to care for her to see how she was doing. Okay, that's cool. Look at verse 20. We'll get to that in a second, but I'm going to jump ahead. Look at verse 20 of chapter 2. Esther had not yet made known her kindred. It's the second time. Or her people, even as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther did what Mordecai told her as she had done when under his care. She's not under his care anymore. But she still trusts him and listens to him. Verse 9 tells us that Esther found favor with Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. And yet we see that Esther remains humble and grounded with Mordecai. She finds favor with Haggai. She's under the care of the king, but she continues to remain faithful and humble and grounded with her cousin Mordecai. Church, you and I, like Esther, must take caution to remain humble and grounded when the Lord shows us favor. We must remain humble and grounded when the Lord shows us favor. The Lord often shows us favor. And something, sometimes for many of us, goes sideways in our spiritual lives when the Lord shows us favor. 
Esther remains grounded. She remains humble. Look also at verse 15. Check it out. Now, when the turn of Esther came to go into the king, she did not request anything except what Haggai told her or what he advised. And Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. So, let's start putting this together. In verse 9, Esther finds favor with Haggai. In verse 15, Esther finds favor in the eyes of all who see her. In verse 17, which we'll get to in a second, Esther finds favor in the eyes, uh, finds favor and kindness with him, the king, more than all the virgins, it says. So she finds favor with Haggai, she finds favor with all who see her, and she finds favor and kindness with the king more than all the other virgins. So we learned earlier that Esther was beautiful of form and face. But that's not all that Esther is. She's not just beautiful of form and face. Her submission and humility are also very prevalent and very appealing to all who encounter her. Amen? When we're submissive and when we're humble, it appeals to the masses. It appealed to Haggai, it appealed to all who saw her, and it appealed to the king himself. And ultimately, if you know the story, it benefits an entire nation of people that were marked for destruction because she was not just beautiful of form and face, but she was also submissive and humble. Let's read our last stanza, verses 17 through 23. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. When the king, or then the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his princes and his servants. He also made a holiday for the provinces and gave gifts according to the king's bounty. When the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. And Esther had not yet made known her kindred or her people, even as Mordecai had commanded, for Esther did what he told her. When she was under his care. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bithgan and Teresh, two of the king's officials from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and then Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. Hmm. Check this out in verses 17 and 18. Six things happen, three in verse 17 and three in verse 18. Six total things. The first one in verse 17, the king loved Esther more than all the women, it says. That's the first thing that happened. The king loved her more than all the women. The second thing in verse 17 is that she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins. The third thing is that he made her queen. That's verse 17. And it actually says that he set the royal crown on her head. Wow. The three things that happened in verse 18, he gave a great banquet. He made a holiday. The second thing is he made a holiday for the 127 provinces. And the third thing is he gave gifts according to his bounty. That's a lot. That's a lot of favor. Of all these provinces, of all these women, Esther's placed in the position of being queen, and these amazing things happen. The favor shown Esther is remarkable. 
yet it took time. It took time. And also yet, <laughs> at this point, we still have no idea what God's up to. All this favor four years later. But we still have no clue why. Why? Because he likes Esther? Because he likes Mordecai? If you didn't know any different, you just think, wow, what a, she won the lottery. All these women, and she gets to be queen. End of story. My life is great. As mentioned, verse 20 shows us that Esther continued in her trust and humility toward Mordecai, even though she is now queen. And so here's some questions I have for you. When the Lord has shown you favor, do you shift? When the Lord has shown you favor, like the Lord has shown Esther favor, she didn't shift. She remained submissive and loyal to Mordecai, the things that created her character. When the Lord shows you favor, we oftentimes, when the Lord shows us favor, we shift. We forget about God. We start putting our confidence in ourselves. We, we give ourselves the credit for the way that the Lord has shown us favor, and we shift. And so here's maybe the better question. If the Lord were to show you favor, would you shift? There are times when I've looked back going, oh, I think I know why the Lord didn't show me favor there. I'd have been a train wreck. That would have not worked out well for my life. And in the moment, I didn't really understand it. I thought, God, I really deserve this. I've worked hard for this. Why won't you give this to me? And I look back and I think, I might have shifted. I might have shifted. And I'm thankful that he didn't show me favor that way, but he showed me favor by restraining and not giving me those things. So verses 21, 22, and 23, the last three verses of chapter 2, help set the stage for the remainder of the story. He finds out the secret to kill the king, and these guys get hung, and, and then next week we get introduced to Haman. Boo! Hiss! I don't know, is it the antagonist? Is that how you say it? Anyway. Mordecai's saving the life of the king was recorded, but not regarded by the king right here, as we just read it. It was recorded, but it wasn't regarded by the king. That happens, doesn't it? Sometimes we do something huge. Mordecai did something huge, significant, and important, yet it seems, seems to go unnoticed. And at this point, it has. Other than it got recorded, it wasn't regarded by the king. So in closing, the elevation of Esther to queen takes place <laughs> before Israel has any clue that they need help. The original readers of Esther would realize that this was simply another, another, another instance of God protecting his covenant people. We just can't get enough stories and enough reminders that God is faithful. Wow. I wonder what the Lord is orchestrating right now before we even see the need and before we even cry out to him, wow, what's God up to right now? What's he orchestrating right now that three months, three years, or three decades down the road, we'll look back and go, oh, I had no idea that that's what you were doing. For those of us who have walked with the Lord for any period of time, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where we look back and say, wow, God is so good. Do not miss next week.
because I didn't have time to introduce or address the dark side of Esther and Mordecai that I just didn't have time to address today. How's that for intrigue? <laughs> Amen? I'm going to invite up the worship team to close this in song. I'm going to pray for us real quick as they're working their way up here. What a privilege we have to get to do this, church. I know many of you have already read Esther in one sitting. If you haven't done so, please find the time to do it. It literally takes about 35, 40 minutes. It goes really, really fast, and you're going to love it. So let's pray. And if you need prayer after service, our prayer team's available down here. Pastor Dave, thank you again for your faithfulness. I love you with all my heart. You are a man of God, and we are just um, privileged to sit under your teaching. So thank you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we love you. We thank you for the story of Esther and Mordecai and um, that you're at work, that you're in control. When? All day, every day, you are in control. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.